You're listening to another episode of Open Source CXO, the podcast designed to share insights on how to excel in your business using technology, regardless of the industry. Host Robert Kehoe is a self-taught software developer who has grown to the role of CEO. Renowned for his collaborations with organizations such as Stanford University, Nelnet, and Louis Vuitton, he continually seeks new challenges to conquer in the world of tech. Accompanying him is Don Blackburn, a veteran COO with over 25 years of experience in cultivating diverse relationships and driving innovation in various technical projects. Each week, they'll be sitting down with some of the nation's foremost technology leaders to develop an open source playbook, drawing from their firsthand experiences in the field. Let's talk some tech. All right, today we're joined by Phil Merrill, who's CIO of Prompt Care Companies. Uh, Phil, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Could you tell us a little about, a little bit about yourself? All right. Well, currently, as stated, I'm the CIO for Prompt Care Companies. The Prompt Care Companies is a uh, healthcare services organization that focuses on treating chronically ill, both in respiratory services and home infusion and ambulatory suites, uh, infusion centers. Uh, when you think about uh, the three uh, three core arms, we have a specialty pharmacy that services both arms of our business, ventilated, non-ventilated patients, ALS-type patients, things along those lines. When you think of our infusion services, specialty um, infusions around things like uh, arthritic, uh, when you think of immunology, uh, gastroenterology, uh, in some cases, uh, you know, we also treat bleeding disorders, so rare diseases mm -hmm. like hemophilia and things along those lines. Wow. We do them in the home, we have suites, and we have an infusion center as well. Are you guys publicly, was it, I thought you guys were publicly traded, is that incorrect? No, we're, that is incorrect. Okay. We are okay. not publicly, we are, we are backed by a private equity organization, okay. a fantastic organization out of Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, we are a national organization. We have presence in 39 states today, and we cover coast to coast. Gotcha. And most of the IT department, I think, is out east, isn't it? Uh, actually, we're split 50-50. I sit here in uh, Kansas. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a half of the team here in Kansas and half of the team out oh. in uh, New Providence, New Jersey. The main corporate headquarters for the overarching company is New Providence, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, I have one resource that sits out in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. Gotcha. How, how big is your team? Oh, we have a small team. My team right now today is 11, 12 people oh. strong. So we're, okay. we're actually quite small, mm -hmm. gotcha. but mighty. We yeah. get a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Smaller than, than some of my previous backgrounds. Uh, you know, I've been I've been in healthcare now for a little more than, uh, let's see, I, I got into healthcare in 2001. So is that 22? Yeah. 20, January of 2001, yeah. so 22, 23 years. Wow. Uh, been me, a CIO. Me too, man. We're all getting old. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's very, very uh, exciting. How's yeah. that? <laughs> Time flies. Yeah. What's the What's the makeup of your team? Is it developers? Is it you know, what, what kind of what sort of so resources I have, do you have uh, access to? Some uh, end user support folks. I have about four of those that I really focus on. Our nurses, our respiratory therapists, and the, you know the clinical team at whole, and then the supporting of the pharmacy. I've got uh, two, four, five engineers. Okay. Uh, and one director that functions like an architect as well. What's uh, what's that tech stack then for your engineers and whatnot, out of curiosity? Uh, we focus heavily in a .NET, okay. Windows-type environment. Mm -hmm. um, I try to, to keep it simple, uh, looking for the most simple approach for our end-user community. That's right. Uh, we do, uh, I have, since I've taken off, been in this role for about three and a half years, um, so I try to drive the organization more towards cloud-based solutions, uh, of course. Azure, I imagine. Yeah, all okay. Azure at this point in time, um, and then just from a from a, a usability of business support growth, uh, I'm real careful on where I go with the build approach. I do have a full stack engineer and two data engineers mm -hmm. that uh, can both double, you yeah, know, or all three of them can back each other up. So in certain situations, I do develop where I need to, but I try to minimize that because use something scary. off the shelf. Then is that I try to go COTS off the shelf and okay. then look at where I can do integrations. Uh, gotcha. In some cases, we do have some custom software that we built ground up. The other things that I've used in the, uh, and that I currently use are platform-based capabilities, so like an Appian, a low-code, no-code platform. 
we build capabilities on top of that platform, and it allows us to uh, to scale the business. Do you guys do that? Because uh, at least from a uh, off the shelf perspective, I know that HIPAA and there's a lot of compliances with you know GDPR and some of the even California laws and different privacy stuff. Does that help with some of that to sort of offset that liability? Is that is that why it does? You guys take because that there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you get. So the, the the thought that I put into this is, I could spend significant amount of money in building from the ground up and building mm-hmm. all the controls and all the stability, and all of the functions I need to meet some of the requirements of HIPAA, of, of various state regulations. You know, so yeah, I tell folks if you've seen one state HHS, you've only seen one state HHS, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, so to, to, to go across the 39 states and meet all that compliance, I could spend a significant amount of money to do that and build it from the ground up. And yeah, yeah I have a tool that's tailor-built to me specifically. Or I could leverage a partner that has a platform that they've poured millions of dollars yeah. into yeah. that I can just piggyback on top of sure. and do a small investment and get a large impact. And these platforms, do they, you mentioned, you know, the custom system is obviously tailored to you guys, but these other systems that they've invested this money into, do those handle your needs pretty well out of the box, or do you yeah, have to when do we, a lot of when customization? When we look at systems like that, uh, we're talking like Snowflake and, okay. and systems, you know, that are really kind of got some versatility yeah. to them. They drive a configuration first type model. Uh, the other thing I look at is I look at the alignment to the business need, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I do is I go in for a solution. I look at what's the business outcome we're trying to go. I avoid the shiny object syndrome, the yeah. SOS, yeah. right? It's right. hard, right. especially you for know, developers. We it, love those shiny objects. Well, yeah, and, 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 and I myself being an engineer by training, right, my, my world is all about, ooh, what can I build today? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. But you don't want to necessarily get into that model as a CIO uh, because it opens up the organization to risk. It also... You have to look at the culture that you that you move within. And one aspect of the culture when I look at these solutions to try and determine which path we need to go is adoptability, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Because it's one thing to have nurses. What I love about nurses and respiratory therapists is that they all say they're not technical, but yet when you watch what they do, you're kind of like, oh, my God. Yeah, give me a break. Technical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone's lying here, right? You know, right. But, but at the same time, they're looking at when when you get them out in the field and they're dealing with patient care and patient services, right? And then you throw in a complex technology that they got to learn. You got to do this. You got to go here. You got to press this. You got to pull this down. And oh, you got to put this in, or this is going to come this way. Then it becomes overwhelming because they're focused on an, a human life in front of them, and I'm asking them to flow through a tech. So I got to keep it simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to keep it easy. Got to keep it adaptable and adoptable. Seeing that, I've actually heard that very same thing from other, you know, we work with some, some uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, medical-based companies. or, or it, So, uh, healthcare is what I meant to say. So, they've said the very same thing, you know, when you got lives on the line and your tech breaks. That's, you know, it's, yeah. so it's, I totally understand that. Um, so, I guess, what are some of the, is there any, any specific challenges there, I guess, you had seen uh, just your time doing that? Like, um, I guess, I'm trying to formulate my question properly. Don't worry, we could. He's going to edit some of this stuff out here. <laughs> so this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. So take your time. It's no yeah. big deal. Um, but I'm trying to – I'm just curious if there's any specific scenario scenario you've, you've gone through or you've had or any kind of um, experience uh, that sort of made uh, you kind of take that approach with, um, with finding, you know, keep, I guess how do you keep it simple? What, what methods? Is there anything that – any, any experiences you've had in the past that have driven you this way or or maybe you didn't keep it simple before and it's caused any sort of headaches or hopefully no major issues like, you know, you know somebody's personal injury or anything. So is there anything like that, any, any kind of personal experience that has made you kind of make sure that keeping it simple um, is, is absolutely the way to go? I'm just curious about any, any experience there at all or any stories. Yeah, so I'll share one. It's a little personal. Um, um, and, and Only if you're a, willing. You know? No, no, I will, I will, I will, I will. I think it's because it's it's truly the foundation of what kind of, and it, I think it's probably going to shock some people to hear kind of, so as an engineer, you know, I, you know, or, or back, well, tomorrow will be 26 years ago, my daughter was born, right? Her birthday's tomorrow. Uh, she's a special needs uh, individual. So at 26 years old, she functions like an eight-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. 
uh, in some cases as little as a six-year-old, right? You know, and so mm-hmm. it's it's quite challenging for us. And many, many years ago, as an engineer, she had to have a surgery, and it was a it was an emergent surgery. Mm. And I found myself prior to being in healthcare. I wasn't in healthcare yet. And I was fresh out of the military. I was in my first IT job, and there my daughter was about to go into the operating room. And the surgery was supposed to take six hours, and they came out almost eleven hours later. Mm. Oh, geez. Right. And when they came out, I had the doctor come out and talking to us, and he he was explaining to us some of the things that went on. And what had happened was there was a there was a, a disruption in the operating room. And it was a tech system that they had deployed. Oh my! That would monitor all the vitals and everything else, and the back end went down. Oh, wow! And of course, they had a secondary operating room on the ready. And my thought was, and the question I asked the doc was like, "Why a secondary, like a whole other operating room? Yeah. Why?" He's like, "Well, we have to have the redundancy. We have to have all of this, and so and sometimes when these systems come down." You know, our, we're in the operating room. We don't know how to necessarily troubleshoot it right there to get it back quickly. So we just shift rooms, right? That's incredible. So I was like, wow. thank God. That's amazing, yeah. right? But yeah. it's not. No. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's... Because as engineers, we know if you're in the middle of an operation, I don't want that nurse. If I'm the guy on the table, I don't want that nurse going, <laughs> oh, my God, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> right. Right? Yep. It's got to be quick. Press this button. If it doesn't respond, flip this switch and you're done. Back yeah. up, yeah. Right? It's online. Oh, by the way, if that doesn't work, don't worry. It'll come back in two seconds, right? right? right. You know, and so thinking about that and putting yourself in those shoes, and thank God they had that because my daughter wouldn't be here today, mm-hmm. right? It. I walked away, and I spent a lot of time stuck on that concept. And then I, I just adopted the, the idea that, Kiss was my friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And the idea was is to keep it simple. Just keep it as simple as you possibly can so that when your end users are in dire straits and the tech fails, they have a quick way right. to Back deal up. with it. Right. Right? And so that's really kind of the approach. Simplicity, 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 ease of adoptability. Now, it's not always that way. Yeah. Right? No. And that I- becomes the hard part. I'm a little surprised they even admitted that to you. <laughs> yeah. you know, in this age of litigation, well, there was there was um, there was there was a connection I had with the with the with the surgeon in question. Okay, right. There's a there's a family relationship there. Otherwise, you may never have known. No, we would not <laughs> well, have you, known. You did mention that was you know twenty ish twenty six years ago. Twenty six years ago. So, how do you think? Do you think that's different now? Do you think... Oh, I know it's different now. Is it different now? Okay, so I would love to hear about, you know, because everybody's probably curious about how AI or how natural language processing, things like that kind of, you know, they they make an appearance in this this industry. I'm curious what you think has been done since then to sort of remedy those issues. Well, technology has innovated and evolved so much. You know, one of the things that we all, and you guys know this already, uh, every three years, right, technology goes through some level of an mm-hmm. evolution, mm-hmm. right? If you think about back in the day, 26 years ago, you could have a server go down and the concept of failover and disaster recovery or high availability, even with high availability 26 years ago, it wasn't true high availability. Right. You still, it was what I would call fault tolerant, Right. And so, but today, you've got systems, I've mm-hmm. got systems in, in my ecosystem that I can have a server actually disrupt and go down. And I get a message that comes in, I got a team that responds, and I'll call the head of clinical operations, I'll be like, hey, are you guys having any issues right now? Are you seeing anything? They're like, no, why is something going on? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> nothing's happening here. Nothing to see yeah. behind the curtain. We're good Just to go. checking. Yeah. And we hang up, and lo and behold, we actually lost an entire device yeah. that supports the clinical EMR, but it went on without a hiccup, right? Yeah. That's pretty impressive it in is. 26 years. Yeah. And it's the advancement. It's the advancement of the whole stack. We've got companies like Microsoft and, and IBM and HP and Dell that are working double time. You've got and the mergers and the acquisitions as they start to hand to, to become more conglomerate. A lot of times we look at that and we go, oh my gosh, it's going to get expensive, it's going to go through. But innovation happens, mm-hmm. 
right? They start to solve problems because now they've, they delve. One of the things I love about it is I got to see inside the sauce one day of how they were looking at some of the acquisitions they did. And, and they, they realized themselves it didn't work together. Now they got a whole team of engineers going, how do we make it work together? And ultimately, when I built my first private cloud, it was beautiful. It worked, right? Because mm-hmm. Dell solved a problem that we were having mm-hmm. because they had acquired one of the parts that we were working on, yep. right? So it's, I think it's, it's evolved significantly. You look at some of the technologies that are out there today. I look at some of these developers. They got it so easy, man. Oh, my God. They got they it. Dude, it so I started easy. over 20 years ago myself, and I had to learn PHP without Stack Overflow. And <laughs> now, P- developers have it easy. I had to write little code babies. and worry about garbage I was leaving places. <laughs> yep. Today, they're all like, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't even know what garbage is anymore. Yeah, I know. I got, I got two software engineers that are they're my boys. My two, my two older boys are software engineers. And I look at I look at the stuff they do today, and I'm like, you guys have, you know, they'll get to a problem, they'll be like, oh, I, I got to go look for this, right? Understand? I'm like, well, I, you know, did you look inside this object? He's like, why would I do that? <laughs> well, you got to look at how this. I could probably tell you where it's pointed. He goes, no, I'm yep. just gonna go pull this from over here. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go out to Reddit. Absolutely <laughs> right. It's absurd. Like, Man, you guys are lazy. Yeah. I had a million resources. I, I learned off documentation. That was difficult. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, in trial and error, right? Yeah, you know, that's exactly what it was. Hundreds of, and thousands of lines of code, yep. you know, that you had to comb through and figure out. Now today, I mean, they get functioning apps off of 10 lines of code. Yep. And I'm like, it's unbelievable. The right, framework's amazing. Right, right, right. I remember, I, uh, so it was PHP, and I was trying to get just a date to format. And I didn't realize that you can change one of the letters from uppercase to lowercase to get the re- to a different format. And I figured that out just by happenstance, and I was freaking out. I'm like, oh, my God, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it's that kind of crap. Nobody knows anymore. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I agree. Developers have it way easy. So um, that does sort of bring me – so how does the EMR sort of uh, – I know that that's – we still have to talk about sort of compliance and yeah. HIPAA and EMR. You're obviously – you guys – Try to keep it simple. You utilize solutions that are off the shelf. How does that, I guess, how does that play into the compliances? Do you guys, you mentioned you do some custom software, but if you offload that, um, you know, that liability, what do you guys, what have you typically had to worry about when it comes to complying with standards, encrypting data, you know, all that kind of. Yeah, so even though we buy, uh, you know, an EMR, that comes off the shelf and, and we don't use the traditional, like we're not an Epic, we're not a Cerner. We actually leverage local well sky. Okay. Uh, and in our yeah. industry and in our space, specifically okay. in the home infusion, uh, in our respiratory side, we leverage bright tree, uh, on our infusion side, we leverage well sky, right? Even though you offload and they have millions of dollars, they have all the same regulatory requirements that they have mm-hmm. to comply with. And it's incumbent upon them to assist us ensure that in the use of the software that it has the controls to help keep us as compliant as we possibly can, right? But it still doesn't and is that is that specifically from a human perspective then? Obviously, they have the, the data under control. Things are encrypted or stored. I wouldn't stored say they it. always have. Well, I mean, they have the data under control, yes. Okay. Right? I don't want to necessarily give a, a, a misleading guide. Right? But it's still incumbent upon me to ensure that the controls and everything are in place. Because you have leakage, you have yeah. human error, you have right. so many factors that come into how data can actually leave your system mm. and get you in trouble. Yeah. Right? Especially from a HIPAA perspective. That's the number one concern is actually the human element within this space, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then on top of that, you know, making sure that the stack that you build around and that you put things onto. So, Yes, we're in the cloud, right? And you think the cloud, it's one of the things you have to remember is like Azure is responsible for security of the cloud. I'm still responsible for security in the cloud. That's fair, yeah. Right? And so, and then ensuring that we have the compliance, that the processes and the users are adhering to processes, that we have the right controls, the role-based access controls. Do we have, uh, from an access model, do we have the right level of, of gates that they have to get through to ensure that we know that Phil Merrill is logging in and it is Phil Merrill and not someone else, right? And so it doesn't alleviate us. All it does is is give us maybe a step forward 
as the partners, like in this case, WellSky is a really strong partner for us. Bright Tree is a strong partner as well. But WellSky has really stepped up a lot over the last couple of years with us, and they've been a really strong partner for us to ensure that the processes we have and the controls that we have in place allow me to focus on getting around the perimeter and that once you're in the system, I have a traceability and the ability to kind of steer the users where they need to be and get more of a, a comfort level that what we're doing meets the compliance standards. So it's it doesn't take it away, but it does make it a little bit better, if that makes sense. It does. And you have a, I think you said you have a CISO or Chief Information Security Officer, right? That's me. Oh, you're, you <laughs> I wear that hat too. I wear that hat okay. as well, yes. That's, yeah. uh, and then do you, do you have people that are specializing in that? that just uh, I have my architect who, and then we have, we have other partners. Like I have an MSP infrastructure partner that has a security arm to it mm -hmm. that I leverage as well. So in the event that something's occurring, you know, we use, we leverage the cavern out here, shared data center. We have it, uh, our own private network setups and everything else. But I do have resources that when things do occur, I have, a, and in my security model, I go from an outside in, right, so from the perimeter all the way through down to the end user and how they interact with the systems. I have layers of security in place there today that I can guarantee you, you could literally give your username and password away and you still can't get into my network. <laughs> Is that a challenge? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> get us a laptop. So Let's do you guys, there. okay, so you, you leverage a third-party kind of security uh, partner is what it sounds like. So... Do, do you guys go through any sort of, uh, you know, penetration testing? Is there, is there any requirements yeah. for yeah. quarterly? No, so, or? so I have, yeah, there are requirements. Uh, we have accreditations that, mm -hmm. that we have in healthcare. And you're, you're required to uphold those accreditations? Yes, just yes. By, yes. Federal, by the federal payers, okay. by the payers, by CMS in some cases. Okay. All right, and so in, in order for us to, to be able to service and, and actually be able to, to submit claims and collect uh, uh and recover, uh, you know, revenue mm -hmm. from from the, the services we provide, uh, payment for the services that we provide. We have to have these accreditations. Gotcha. And we have to be compliant to some of these standards. Um, and so, just to clear up a few things from the from the managed services partner, they handle infrastructure. They have an arm that will do security. But I set the strategy. I set the plan. I pick all the technologies, and I actually guide them through kind of where the configurations go. In some cases, I use my internal team. To do the configurations, so we have partners like Arctic Wolf on our perimeter, which is an XDR, MDR, managed detection response type capabilities. Sentinel One, uh, we do multi-factor authentication at multiple layers. Uh, so not only do you do you use your username and password on your laptop to get onto your laptop, but you have an MFA token that has to come to your phone. Yep. The cool part is, is I have a piece of software I run that. Um, you can get that token on your phone, but your phone's ID, mm. device ID, has to match what we have on record. Otherwise, that token's useless to you. Okay, I have so, an interesting question there then. I didn't mean to segue into this, but now that you brought it up. Uh, so Apple makes that a little bit hard. They have historically, uh, originally when Apple kind of released the iPhone, they had a, a general unique identifier for the phone, but they got away from that because it was exploited by advertisers. Right. So how do you guys deal with that now? I, I know that you could still get a unique ID from the phone, but I believe it is app specific. So do you guys have some way of, of handling that or does that not apply in this situation? In this situation, we have a we have the ID, the MEID that's registered with that phone. Oh, okay. And that's what comes across oh, to see. us. And we look at that ID okay. right, for that specific hmm. device. I didn't even know you were able to grab that information. That's interesting. Yeah, so... It's registered in our. So system. in addition, so so you use one of those um, one of those apps that basically send that you have to you get a code for like what thirty seconds it's 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 available and but it has to that match that identifier. Uh, that's interesting. Which is frustrating for most of the users, it, but you know, well, there's some apps. Necessary. Some apps make some, that really easy. You some of the button. users, right? They yeah. do get frustrated with this. Yeah. At the same time, uh, we've had users that have experienced theft. Right, mm -hmm. that have it's all had, for their protection, yeah. and it's it's literally there for their protection. Here's the thing I will tell you: from a security model and a security perspective, it's not if you're going to be breached; it's when you're going to be breached. Mm -hmm. And the approach that you have to take, at least I take as a CISO, is when the breach occurs. Here's where I want it to go, and here's how I want it to play out. Right? 
How do those breaches typically happen then? Do they, I'd imagine anymore, it's difficult, and I think I actually said this to someone recently, but it's difficult to penetrate software. Everything's, you know, they've done a, we've done a really good job at locking certain things down. Of course, there's always, you know, security holes in, in various things that we find and we fix, but it's the common element among attacks that I've seen is that human element. It's so much easier to attack people somebody anymore. Brings a, you know, somebody brings it in. And is that is that the case here? Like, it's what, what of, are the most? Yeah, I will tell you, it is the largest threat is the human yeah. mm-hmm. effect, right? Uh, and in some cases, yes, you have you have, and 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 I will tell you, the advent of AI, you know, has really made it difficult. You know, I'm noticing that Proofpoint and Barracuda, some of your email folks that are out there that do email security are struggling to keep up because the, the email sophistications are getting better and better yep. and better. Uh, we're starting to see more and more email hacks come through. And those are some of the most dangerous because imagine like phishing scams, there, is that? The phishing okay. scam. So imagine your, you know, my email gets hacked at my corporation because someone clicked a link or submitted something through or whatever, right? right. Now you get an email from me. You and I have been talking about a proposal. We've been talking about doing some business, and all of a sudden, you say you get an email from from Phil Merrill, and it says, "Hey, you know, uh, Don, I need you to click this link here to get to the new version of the proposal." Well, we've been talking about this, right? Right? right. So it makes total sense. You click it, and it says, "Hey, give me your username and password because we've got to we got to make sure that you are who you are." And you just you know, <laughs> pound it away, right, right? And you submit that through. And knowing Don, this would be absolutely something he'd do. No, I mean, you get it. I got one of those emails just literally the other day from, and it came from one of our software leads. And I, I get an email from him. I go, well, that's weird. He usually slacks me, right? And sends an email, and I, I did not open the attachment. Well, apparently, I've been sending emails as well, requesting gift cards. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's a that's a huge one. And the funny thing is, so here's one. We had one come through the other day that I thought was pretty interesting, and and, and we've been great with our employees. Uh, I I do extensive training with the employees. We have a continuous, you know, uh, 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 micro training. They're three or four minute segment videos that uh, we get through PII Protect. That you know, just kind of talk some about different strategies, different approaches, and different threats that are out there and stuff. But one that came through, and and we had an employee actually fish it to us, right? You know, there's a I have a fish button in the email, so they can fish it to us. Hmm. And it was beautiful. It said your storage, your OneDrive storage is almost at capacity. Please click the link, log in to see about methods to remediate. So that was the message, and they're like, you know, and it, it was. Promcare IT support at promcare.com. Of course, everyone knows that's not that's not our IT address. Yeah, right. So that right there tells them from a sender perspective, oh, this is not legit. But the beautiful part about it was, as you look down the email and you get past that link where they say log in to check it, you'll notice right at the bottom, you're like, wait, is that the header of another email? <laughs> and all you do is you move just a little bit up. And there was, it was literally someone talking about trying to get a loan from a bank and then there was... They were going back and forth about the additional documents that were needed. I mean, it just had this long thread from this from this cyber person's whatever. I turned that over to the FBI. Wow. I was like, hey, look, this guy's... But they're so sloppy with it, but it's yep. still effective. Yeah. Yep. Right? And part of the problem that I talk to my staff about is slow down. Mm-hmm. Right? We get moving so fast. I think it's a great advice, why didn't actually. He, why didn't he slack me? Well, I don't know why, but I, you know what? Boom. And we're moving along. Yep. Right. Right. Just slow down. Take a breath. Right. The extra five seconds aren't going to hurt you. Agreed. Right. That's good Just advice. Pay attention. Well, I think most organizations probably are communicating outside of email now, aren't they? I mean, we use Slack. I think a lot of people use Microsoft Teams. It's probably yep. what you guys use. Yep. So your internal staff's probably doing that, but well, still and, fall and, and prey we to still that get them. You still get them because we deal with hemophilia centers. We deal with oh, the yeah. other doctor offices sure, outside, and they get their. You know, they do. They get their systems hacked. You know, you got mm-hmm. vendors mm-hmm. who are working with us. You know, we've seen one come through where we had a third party partner got hacked because he was at a conference connected to a Wi-Fi that was spoofed, right? Oh. So his three sixty five gets hacked. Mm. All of a sudden, we got another copy of an invoice saying, "Hey, this invoice hasn't been paid. Here's our new banking information. Can you please pay this?" $85,000 invoice, right? Wow. And our finance people are like, we know we paid this. <laughs> yeah. 
right? So they fire it over to me, and I'm like, wait, this doesn't look right. Yeah. I reach out to the vendor, and lo and behold, he's like, oh, my God, I'm hacked, right? You know, oh and so it happens, and it'll come through just from normal course of business. It doesn't have to necessarily be internal. But it's the savviness of our human people that really you got to really spend. So you, the time you guys train. Day. You got yeah. There you go. You, train, you train, train. And yeah. our CEO is amazing with the fact that he hones in. This is a hot button for him. Your scores for security are critical, mm-hmm. and it's it's how savvy is your culture? Well, yeah, I'd imagine that's a should be a big deal. I mean, you could face huge yeah. fines and issues. They could take down whole companies, man. I, so, well, I just put out a LinkedIn post last week, week before, uh, on that very topic. Of, uh, two companies I'm pretty close to, right? I'm one that's uh, a client and another one that, you know, I'm just familiar with. I, I know somebody that works in the organization. Those companies were really affected, like taken down, like could not yeah. do business. For a period of time. Oh, well, we, the ransomwares are, 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 are one, one yep. was a ransomware, and it, and it I think they ended up paying it, you know, just because they had to get their data back. And That's crazy. You know, the FBI got involved, all kinds of stuff happened, but, you know, at the end, of, and, and these are large companies that you would think, you know, have the necessary procedures in place to avoid you that sort of thing. You would be shocked but, at how many companies just kind of move around without... And just whistle by the graveyard and hope it doesn't happen. Dumb, kind of dumb luck is what I yeah. call it. Right? Luck. <laughs> Not a very sound model there. No, no it isn't. No, but I think, I, I, it, you know, it, it gets surprising. I mean, look at Experian, right? Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, now I may be wrong, right? But if I remember correctly, I believe Experian was some gal sitting on her couch down in Texas. Hacked them. Yep. Right. Well, same thing with uh, multiple millions of records of personal yeah. financial information. And they have Americans. they have a lot of data. So, who would you expect to be the most hardened of all of them? Right. Experience. Right. 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 Someone Very sitting on their couch got right on through. Right. Yeah. Who was the the casino uh, in Vegas was recently? Oh, MGM. Uh, MGM. Yeah. And it they got through because of, through the help desk is how yeah. they that's how they got through. And again, as I'm saying, it's it's difficult with software anymore. It's I mean, how often do you guys experience somebody, what, doing any, do DDoS attacks still, are they still a thing? Or, I mean, like. They, well, they are, but I don't think they have as much as an impact as they used to have. But well, they still are. Yeah, now with, hu- now with huge cloud data centers, yeah. now you can scale up. Yeah. Yeah. Cloud has made, has, has revolutionized things, in my opinion. So, I, I, I'm all about it. Well, one of the other things that we've done to help ourselves is I look at where we do business. So for a good example, I don't do business anywhere outside of the continental United States and in Alaska and Hawaii. So we geofence, block, yep. right? We block everything outside. Mm-hmm. You know, now sucks for our employees because we'll get a senior executive or an executive that wants to go on vacation to Mexico or to can access London. Yep. And they're all like, hey, can I get in? I'm like, nope. <laughs> do it from home. Yeah. What about proxies? They could use proxies to probably get around that issue. Well, they or... can, <coughs> okay. right? And so we monitor from traffic and we monitor behavior. So part of what I've got oh, with Sentinel-1 okay. is Sentinel-1's got behavioral analysis that we monitor with, right? That's so if fancy. all of a sudden, if I, you know, and, and the, the thing is, is we use, we run a couple other pieces of software where we're looking at connectivity points. So if, if you're constantly connecting from Leewood, Kansas, or Lenexa, Kansas, and Maybe once in a while you get up to Independence, Missouri, and yeah. you might travel over to St. Louis and you connect, and all of a sudden now you're connecting from Nevada, boom, yeah. you're down. Yep. Right? We stop it. And then we stop you until you call. Yeah. Like, hey, I keep using my token, but I can't get through. Well, guess what? Are you in Nevada? <laughs> <laughs> I'm right in the middle of MGM. Well, stop that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. So how does, uh, you know, getting back to some of uh, just the, the outline yeah. here, I wanted to talk, you, you mentioned at one point that you you worked for, you know, you came from an insurance background, and I would love to hear a little bit more about how that sort of ties into, you know, claim submissions, like you were saying, and getting paid and, and getting that revenue in the door. How does, how does all this tie into, uh, I guess, is that the responsibility of the EMR at that point? Do you guys do that a different way? How does that part work? No, and that's part of that. I'm it's a all, familiar. yeah. There's there's a general practice uh, around this on the on the on the clinical care side. It's called revenue cycle, where you get you know your encounters occur. The the physicians or the the caregivers will meet with the patient, and mm-hmm. that becomes an encounter that ultimately becomes a claim. 
and then that claim gets submitted into the insurance, right? And there's there's all kinds of factors that, and they're pretty standard across the industry as a whole. You have to, have, in some cases, you have to have a prior authorization. In other cases, you know, it's it's if it's within the benefit structure, uh, there's copay, coinsurance. You have to figure out with these patients and stuff. So, in our cases at Prompt Care, we have, in some situations, some significant numbers we're dealing with. Uh, so for some of these disease states, you know, we've got situations where a vial of medication is, you know, sixty thousand dollars, right? Lord, you know, yeah. and so, um, and so, it, and you know, we have to have prior authorizations before we can dispense that med. And in some cases, there's a copay, right? And so with the copay, you have to talk to the patients and stuff. And then, so when you go through that, you get the submission of the claim. So that that process is kind of generically the same across. Okay. And the insurance companies that come, we're all in healthcare, right? And we have the same kind of process on the backside. They look at the benefit structure. They look at the drug. They look at the cost. They look at utilization management. They look at factors such as, you know, uh, side of care, right, necessity of care, uh, reasonableness of care, uh, where there where their prerequisites met, right. So on the healthcare side, on the on the health insurance side, uh, you'll have usually medical directors or something that will set policy or structure around, you know, in order for you to to get, you know, uh, a knee replacement done, there has to be an MRI. There has to be physical therapy that's done. Before you can get the MRI, you have to go through physical therapy, All right? So today, when we sit in front of a doctor and the doctor's talking to us about, yeah, I think you're, a, a, for example, I had a, an elbow problem, right? And he goes, yeah, your elbow looks like it's it's going to have some trouble. Before we do the MRI, I'd like to go through physical therapy. Right. I go through the physical therapy, elbow still busted up. He's like, all right, well, now we can get the MRI. Mm-hmm. And he goes, we might have to go, Bill, you got four tears in your elbow. And he's like, one of them we probably should operate on. But it's not a complete tear, so let's do some cortisone injections. So, right? so then we go through this process of these three or four cortisone injections. Lo and behold, the elbow heals itself. Right, so these medical directors over on the health plan side said, we want all these steps met before you operate, mm-hmm. right? And it's around cost containment. Now, from a health plan perspective, they're around making sure that the necessity of care is met and that it's all there. On the provider side, they're trying to get you to the best place possible. In our case, we follow that same structural model, right? We submit the claims. We make sure the prior authorization is in place before we administer care. We have all this upfront work for patients' admissions and onboarding to make sure that we can give the care, the care to the patient adequately and efficiently in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately get, because we've got to get reimbursed. Yeah. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, we need the reimbursement to keep operating and providing the critical care mm-hmm. to these patients that are most needed because these are chronic conditions, right? And so, I so, did that kind of answer the Yeah, question no, it did. Moment. I'm just curious at this point. So, if somebody has a particular issue, is there a, it could be anything. But is there a very specific step-by-step procedure, or is that defined by the doctor, and the system just has to take any and all information, and that is human intervention there to see, okay, well, you know, they've got that vial of medicine, or they got that cortisone shot, and they need to get reimbursed for those things. Like, is that a very, you know, um, ad hoc style of uh, going back and forth between the system and the, the caregiver, or is that something that's very defined, like... Whenever you know that's a, that's a hard one to answer because in some situations, I think, you know, you have clinical pathways, right? So I'm number one. I'm not a doctor, right? So just let's be clear about it. I'm not a doctor, right? <laughs> um, really not. But but you have clinical pathways that these doctors work within, okay. right? That have and that have a kind of a structured. Here's how we do things, right? And here's here's what the general population of medical practice says. Or how we treat certain conditions, or we go after certain situations with a patient. But each encounter is unique in some regard. Well, you know, from a population perspective, 40, 50, 51 year old male with diabetes, having a heart, chest discomfort. There's a there's a clinical pathway that says, ER, run an EKG, okay. do, so do X, Y, and Z. Right? Okay. There's a structure. But now you get Phil Merrill in there, 51-year-old diabetic, had a heart attack, had a pulmonary embolism. Now, what do we do with him? We deviate from the pathway. And there might be a pathway that deviates and says, all right, here's what we do in this scenario, right? Hmm. And then in other situations, they may have, maybe they have a pediatric situation where 
the the disease state is so unique that they really haven't figured out a cure or a treatment model for children. Mm-hmm. And but yet you can't leave this. You can't just say, "Oh, I'll go home. We got nothing for you." Yeah. Right. So you try things, and so that may be where the doctor is kind of working with known pathways to make adjustments and, and to be able to treat. In those situations, we work in tandem with the provider because we've got, in our case, we get a referral from a physician, right? That, you know, so we might have a doctor at KU Med that's got a, a Mycenae Gravis patient and they're referring that, that patient to us, neuro, neurological uh, situation, right? And so we get that and the doctor says, I want this patient to have X, Y, or Z at this, at this interval, this dosage, and we go into the insurance and we say, all right, we've got this patient. Are they covered? Yes. What do we need for prior authorization? Here's what, and the insurance says, here's what your reimbursement model looks like. We look at that. We look at our cost to actually execute. Then we look at the delta. We talk to the patient about, you know, what their responsibilities may be. And then if everything works out beautifully, we schedule the patient in for the, for the actual infusion, either in the home, in the suite, or in our center. Uh, and then we execute on that, and then we do this admission and go from there. So that's the general path that everything works within. And the claims, they all go in, and, and in some cases, we, uh, you know, we have, you know, we use clearinghouses and third-party partners to do the batch submission of the claims. Oh, okay. And batch recovery. Well, I'm sure those insurance things. companies want very specific. Uh, there's a structure. There's yeah. a defined, like we have EDI, electronic okay. data interchange, you know, the definitions. Right. There's uh, X12 standards out there for uh, HIPAA-compliant claims, right, that get submitted. And I'd imagine that, you know, AI in this context would, at least if it's not now, it might play kind of a big role in defining, uh, what was the term you used, that a a patient, you know, or a a healthcare provider would follow, you know, a treatment path, but it would also be conditional. It's like, hey, well, if this, this, and this, then this should be, does AI currently play a role in, or machine learning in general, just play a role in some of that? Or I think broad is from a broad healthcare perspective, somewhere in some corner, the answer is yes. Yeah, but it's right? not. It's not a mainstream. Do you see that being a mainstream sort of ordeal? Because I would imagine that would be where machine learning would excel. So here's the thing with technology and some of these new ideas and these new innovations, right? Um, AI, machine learning, they all came out many, many. Remember the advent of the cloud, mm-hmm. right? We used to have the argument of why would you go to the cloud? The cloud's just a bunch of infrastructure in a box somewhere, right? Right. Yep. Right. right. And we fought the cloud. And it took what five, ten years yep. for the cloud to really start to get its foot down on the ground and mm-hmm. really start adoption. So that today, if I sat here in front of you and said, We're gonna build a data center, I'm gonna acquire all my server, you'd be like, Why? <laughs> yeah, why are you going to the cloud? So why right. would you waste? So it? the conversation shifted. So for me to sit here and say AI, machine learning. They do have a big play in healthcare, right? And they are making large inroads in healthcare. And they're used heavily. I have used machine learning and artificial intelligence and other roles within healthcare. With, with right? success? Have you been, how do you feel um, as a well, de- Define success, right? Do we <laughs> want to say, you know, because there's the, the thing that people have to look at is this is an evolutionary experience, mm-hmm. right? Um, the way I describe it, like, Today, we're looking at robotic process automation currently at PropCare at RTA. Uh, and it's designed to help us in more back-end operations and things like that, right? But when we deploy the bots, the bots are pretty simple things. You know, they don't know what they don't know, right? right. I don't have machine learning deployed yet to feed them, right? right, to get them to gain knowledge. So I would say I had success in the past with machine learning and ultimately establishing neural networks and getting AI up and functional where we can do things with them but they were all back office operation they weren't directly in line with the care of patients Mm. right and and i know there are advances in other companies that have in clinical settings that have leveraged ai to assist clinical staff in doing things and those are continuing to evolve and grow there are large health systems that i'm not going to name but i do know leverage AI for reading images, especially in the oncology space, Yeah. right? And the AI will make predictions or determine a clinical pathway 
and then the oncologist will review that. In some cases, they have agreement. In other cases, they may decide out of compassion or empathy to take a different path or course, mm-hmm. right? Because here's the example I give with the AI. Looking at a cancer, the AI might look at two images and say, image one, this patient has a 90% success rate, so do everything we can to save this patient. Patient two has a 30% success rate, do nothing, allow patient oh, to the yeah. best care. Patient one is 98 years old. Oh. Yeah. Patient two is six. Yeah. Yeah. Who gets the treatment? So there's still human intervention, though, right? There's still, I mean, there's, there, has there has to be, to be human be, intervention, yeah. right? Because the machines only know what the machines are fed, and they're cold. Exactly. They're not. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Which they're cold. Now, someday, good. someone's going to give them a heart, right? <laughs> and watch out, right? What, but, what Will Smith say? Lights and clockwork. <laughs> on, the, on that movie, iRobot, that's yeah. exactly what it reminded but me I just think, now. But I think the thing to, to recognize is it will continue to grow. It's got a place. Uh, people smarter than I am are going to figure out mm-hmm. where that So you is. think it's just not mature enough to really – do you think it will get there, I guess, maybe is the question. Yeah, so the maturity, you know, it, the maturity plays in two – multiple directions, uh, the, I guess is the way I want to answer that. One, in the technology itself. Right, we've got AI that's kind of exploded in all different things. I can make a video of us talking here, and and I'm sure you guys have seen the videos yeah. out there where the presidents are the fakes. You, you yeah, got, yeah. Deep you got fake, Ray, yeah. Uh, you yeah. got uh, you got Biden, you got Obama, and you got Trump all in a room, and they're telling these yeah. stupid dad jokes. Right? Yeah, <laughs> right. So that may have happened. We yeah. don't know. I mean, you never know. I that mean, might it could be, be a real thing. It looks real, yeah. right? You know, but so so I think I think there's the maturity in the technology. Right, but there's also maturity in the industry and maturity in the practices. Mm-hmm. Healthcare's got a broad spectrum of where every. Just because you walk into one provider practice, you might walk into Advent Health and you're seeing state of the art of this or that, right? But yet, you go down the street to St. Luke's and it's not quite the same, mm-hmm. right? They don't have maybe some of the same technology, right? And it's literally just the different scales of where we're at. So I, I think it, the maturity goes in multiple directions. Right? Have you guys been to a restaurant yet where you have this robot come up to bring you your food? I have not. No. So the bot comes out. The first time the bot came out, the bot, you know, for the most part, just say, hey, how you doing? Your appetizers, whatever. And then the, then the waitress comes up, right? Mm-hmm. And the bot takes the appetizer, but then the waitress takes the order and the rest of the order and everything else. But then the bot brought all the food out. The bot talks? Well, Fritz has been doing that for years with their railroad car up on the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, actually, Isn't that the same You know thing? what I mean? Kind of, kind of right? Kind of serves in the same early, way. Early AI. Whereas there's a restaurant up by, by, uh, by the airport, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, it doesn't, it's, it looks the same. Yeah. Looks like the same restaurant, but they use it differently. Yeah. Right? It literally brings the food out, but then it stops, never even gets near your table. And the waitress goes over there, and she looks at the screen. She does something on the screen, and and then certain trays will move forward, and she pulls the food off of that and walks over to you and hands it down to you. But she actually never leaves you Hmm. because the bot's going back to the kitchen and coming back and back to the kitchen coming back, you know? So it's just it's different levels of sophistication. And so that's my point, right? It's that we have to evolve. Maturity goes in multiple directions. Do I think it has a place in the world? Do I think it has a place within healthcare? It absolutely it does, and it will advance healthcare for us. It's just it's going to take time. And, and it seems like the uh, the voice bots are doing they're advancing pretty quickly now, where you can have a whole conversation with yeah. a bot on the phone and Those not even better. and not even like they're doing that. There's, a, there's yeah. a software out there for sales now where you can set up these call scripts and. It'll, you know, it's variable. It'll, they'll, they'll choose to say certain things based on your responses, but you can tell, even though it's, it's sounding a lot better, you can still tell that if there's a delay, there's, it's a little bit off. It's to so the it's, point. I, I just don't think it's there yet, but, but you're absolutely right. I think it's to the point now that I'm so in tune with it, and I've read so many stories about it and seen. I, I got a call from somebody that I swore was a bot, like it was mm-hmm. a voice that almost sounded a little robotic. And I was having to test them. That was just to that make was sure. Nathan, Don. That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> so well, I had, he's always robotic. I've had it where uh, I've talked with a bot, and I figured out it was a bot because the the sound loop in the background to make oh. it sound like a call center was consistently the same. Oh, sure. And that's what you noticed that's going on in the background. Right. But, it was the same comment was being made, and then every once in a while, the bot would say. Oh, let me check in the system and then you Oh, that fake typing? Yeah. I hate that. You know, I'm like, all right, all right, we're dealing with the bot. 
But this was, you know, this was early versions of the bots where I think they've gotten more sophisticated now. I felt bad because the person I'm talking about really wasn't a bot. And then I had to, but it took me like a minute and a half, two minutes to figure it out. Then I went, oh, this person's real. Well, I had to say something to make him laugh. And then he, you know, laughed and said something in response. And I went, okay, well, maybe the bot's not going to laugh. It's really ridiculous. Oh, those bot testing does not laugh. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys done much in the way of um, uh, telemedicine or, or remote sort of anything like that? For us in our, in our situations, because of the conditions and the infusions that we're doing, uh, it isn't something that we typically okay. would do. Uh, now, we have ventured and we are playing with the concept of telemonitoring. Oh, okay. Uh, and in some cases, we use a You guys tele- use a lot of IoT for that sort of thing then? Uh, no, ours is very basic and rudimentary where okay. we, we allow uh, basically just through a, 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 an online call with oh. video call okay. for a nurse maybe to do an immediate assessment of a patient before maybe sending, dispatching someone to the home. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. In, in some situations for certain disease states and stuff, we may look at things like, uh, you know, is there a way to do it a quick assessment so we can make a determination, is this a 911 call or is this actually just dispatch somebody to the home and they'll be fine or something like that. Gotcha. In many cases, we advise our patients if in doubt, 911, right, you know, right. for their situation. And this is in between our point of care delivery that we do. When we're delivering, our, our, our resources stay in the home with the patient. I wonder what kind of rules are on that. Do you guys have to record those and somehow, you know, do you guys have to do anything special with anything like that? Like anything with uh, storing, yeah, over. insurance purposes or storing that data? insurance or... purposes and stuff, but we do, I, I, I track everything. Okay. And I record everything. And I imagine whatever on those, it, usually those video calls are encrypted anyway, so yeah. talking about that sort of thing is not a huge deal. Yeah, well, and we run all in HIPAA-compliant environments, and everything is encrypted. Okay. And our pipes are all encrypted. I mean, it's... Gotcha. Uh, I try to keep a Fort Knox up 